you know, from time to time, we just want to think about what we're doing. You know, it's always good to think about what we're doing. Why do we do what we do? And, and uh, part, of our, part of our vision, if you will, part of who we are, part of what we do on Sunday morning is open up God's Word. We like to do lots of other things, and it's always great to laugh and have fun together, and, and we love to worship, we love to pray, but we also love God's Word, and we don't ever want to get to where we have so many other things going on, and skits, and stories, and, and all kinds of stuff, and then, oh, there's no time for God's Word, you know. And that's what happens, because that's what happens in our lives, too, right? We, we get so busy, and we have no time for God's Word, and we miss out. And, and so, <clears throat> I just wanted to say that that God's Word has the answers for life. And that not only for now, it has the answers for living now in this world, but it also has the answers for eternity and life after this life. And so we, we, uh, we place a great emphasis on God's Word. We, we look at it, we read it, we study it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we also look at the topics because all the topics are there. They're all there in God's Word. So today, in celebration of Easter, I want to take a little break from the book of uh, Matthew. I want to look at a passage in the book of Acts. So if you'll turn with me, excuse me, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, let's look at verse 31. It says, For he, that is God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, By the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Proof of this, of what? That he, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead, that we come to him. Says that he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That man is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one. The proof of it is this empty tomb. I remember being there in Jerusalem at the what they call the garden tomb and looking in there and seeing a, a stone slab with nothing there, no one there, no body there, no person there. Never happened before, never happened again, where someone would rise from the dead never to die again. A day is coming, as we see in this verse here. But before we get to that, I want to I look to the background, the context, back to the beginning of this section. So if you turn back to verse 16 and see how we get to this point, because there's a whole message there. And one of the, one of the things about studying the Bible is context. You don't just take a little verse out of context and make up some kind of you know, strange and weird and crazy doctrine. That's what cults do. That's what, you know, all kinds of weird things that come along. They take a little verse out of context. Well, did you know the Bible says there is no God? So the atheists, right, can take a verse out of the Bible to prove that there is no God, right? Because there's a verse that says that. But if you look at the rest of the verse, the context, it says, the fool has said in his heart... There is no God, right? So if you leave out, you know, leave out a few important things, kind of important, you can come up with all kinds of weird and crazy stuff. Yeah, the Bible says there is no God. You're going to go home today and go, wow, you know, uh, happy Easter, and the Bible says there is no God. You know, we were taught that today. Yeah, look at the first part. 
Acts chapter 17. Actually, look, let's look at verse 15. It says, the men who escorted Paul, he's leaving in this place called Berea. It says, they brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Paul with Silas and others are on what's called the second missionary journey where they just felt this call to go out to all the world. We've been looking at uh, the call in Matthew of the apostles where they were sent out to all these places. And Paul and Silas and others are out to share the gospel with people. And they're now in this city of Athens. And, you know, Paul, Paul he, he really wanted Silas and Timothy to, be, Timothy to be with him. He kind of felt, I think, kind of lonely, kind of by himself there in the city of Athens. But, you know, Paul, he can't really just sit around, Paul. And I think if you and I were there, we really wouldn't want to just sit around either. I mean, maybe we could do some sightseeing, right? Athens is a pretty incredible place, Right? It was at that time. It is now. I've never been there. I'd like to go there. I'm, I'm part Greek and uh, <clears throat> one quarter. My uh, grandmother was born in the city of Thessalonica. And uh, I'd like to go there and, and, and see some of these places. But the city of Athens at that time, was, it was named Athens and named after the goddess Athena. Right? That's where the name comes from. And it was, a, it was a pretty important place. It was a cultured place, a lot of education, uh, a lot of famous for a lot of things, sculptors and architects and philosophers, as we'll see, literature, science, rhetoric, which is the art of speaking, and, and even de- democratic kind of com- concepts came out of that area. It was kind of a university town. I think much like Oxford or, or Cambridge or maybe like Providence and Brown University. We're kind of in the middle of these three Ivy League schools, right? We have Providence and Brown. We have Harvard and Massachusetts. We have Yale down in New Haven. And, and uh, we're kind of in the middle of that whole, that whole situation. But at that particular time, now Athens, as someone pointed out, that Athens was in a, is in the late afternoon of her glory. It's kind of like 500 years before when, when all these you know, very important people were on the scene like Socrates and Plato and, and other people's names I can't really pronounce. But this city had led the world. It was a very, very important, very important city, led the world in its intellectual achievement. And, and uh, at this time, though, it was kind of like, you know, looking back. It was kind of in a period of decline and thinking back, living on its past and and. It had all kinds of stuff going on, though. All this superstition, idolatry, and yet philosophy, enlightenment, all that going on at the same time. It's said that at the time there were like 30,000 gods at that time in the city of Athens. 30,000 gods. How do you keep track of that many gods? That's one thing I like about the Bible. There's one God. Okay, yeah. There is a trinity, one God and three persons, and I, you know, I got to get my head around that one. But it's still one God. And I can, that's simple for me. 30,000? How do you know? Which one should I worship today? Which one should I get, you know, involved with today? Bring my offering to. Very confusing. It was a very pluralistic society. We, we, we kind of hear that language today, right? We just have lots of things. Everything is good. It's all good. They had polytheism, which means many gods. Polytheism, many, many gods. They had pantheism, which means 
and we kind of see this in our society too and, and kind of out of Eastern religions. Pantheism means that everything is God. The world is God. Pan means world, theism, everything. The world is God. They had agnosticism too where uh, that word means without knowledge of God. There's a God maybe, but we don't really know anything about Him. He doesn't care about us anyways. So Paul is sitting there in this city of Athens kind of looking around and, and uh, maybe seeing the sights. And when you go there today, it's a lot of it's ruins. But when you went there at that time, the, the, you know, these things were all up and, and uh, all these temples and all these idols and all these things were all there to be seen. Look at verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He was greatly distressed. It, it was like, wow, this knocked him for a loop. He thought he was just going to go out and sightsee, perhaps. But, but this thing about idolatry to him. Now, now Paul, of course, was Jewish. And, and you know, he knew the, the Old Testament scriptures. You know, he was trained. He, he knew them. And, and when you think about this battle, one of the, one of the central themes in, in the Old Testament and then into the New as well, but the New Testament had not been written yet, but... <clears throat> the, one of the central themes, beginning from the very beginning, is this battle with idolatry. You think about the first and second commandments. What does God start with in, in Exodus chapter 20? He said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. God says there is only one. Paul gets to this city and there's 30,000 some odd gods there, idols that represented these gods. You can imagine, it must have felt, I, I, can, I can think it was probably a kind of a demonic feeling because a lot of this idolatry, a lot of this false worship, that, that the enemy is involved in a lot of it. There was a lot of weird, weird things going on too, which I, I don't have time to get into today. But I, I think there was a lot of demonic activity involved in a lot of that stuff. And so for Paul to be there and just to be, you know, completely, uh, you know, <clears throat> says distressed, I think that's uh, uh, saying it mildly. Idolatry, anything that takes the place of the one true God. Could Paul just sit there? No, it says in verse 17, he reasoned. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He wanted to talk about it with anybody, whoever, wherever, whenever he could in the synagogue, in the marketplace. He was willing to talk about the one true God and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 18, it says, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. The philosophers, Paul says, I'm going I'm to talk, I'm, I, I'm here, I can't do anything until Silas and Timothy get here. I might as well keep myself busy, I'm going to at least talk with people. Paul, you know, he wasn't afraid to talk to anybody. And so he begins talking with people, and then the philosophers, they jump in. And now philosophy is not a bad thing if it's grounded in truth. 
But as you'll see, these philosophers, they, 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 the truth of, of who God is and the, and, and the one true God were, were not the foundation that they have. The Epicureans, and those of you that have studied some of these people, please forgive me, I'm going to simplify. The Epicureans, basically their, their, uh, their thing was that pleasure was the chief purpose in life. To be free from pain and superstitious fears, i.e. faith, just to kind of, you know, live a good, have a good time. Their mottos were things like, enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. They were not atheists as such, but, but they believed that the gods were not at all involved in the lives of people. There are gods up there, but they don't really have anything to do with my life. And sometimes we feel like that too. God, where are you? But they had, you know, all, these, all this stuff going around them. So they kind of like just, just sort of drown that out and just live for today, live in the moment, whatever feels good, whatever makes you feel good. Now, have you heard any of this kind of philosophy? Perhaps, maybe. Does that ring any bells to you today? It's all about me, right? We sing the song, it's all about you, Jesus, but our philosophy of our world today could very well be it's all about me. The Stoics, on the other hand, they, you know, it wasn't just one type of person, like I said, pluralistic kind of things happening. The Stoics, they, they were, you know, about reason. We're going we're gonna to think this through. We're going to reason this out. And they wanted to live in harmony with reason. More the rational over the emotional and, and self-discipline and self-control. And, you know, isn't uh, some philosophies in our society today is, you know, we can do this. We can make this happen. Humanism means the human spirit. We can do it. I can do it. If I put my mind to it. If I dig deep enough, right? The whole self-help thing, if I, 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 I can... I can dig deep enough and I'm going to find all the answers, right? Is that true? We know it's not true because when the deeper you dig, enough said there. These Stoics, though, they were pantheists. They kind of looked at the whole, you know, God, the, the God as a, as a world soul. And their mottos were like endure life, grin and bear it. And someone said that the post-Christian paganism in our day has been unable to come up with anything better. Things do not change much. Solomon said nothing new under the sun, right? Things don't change much. We don't go around saying, oh, I'm, I'm being real stoic, I'm a stoic, that's my philosophy, or I'm Epicurean or whatever. No, we don't use those same terms and words, but it's all, you know, there's nothing new. Paul enters the scene, though, and all this stuff's going on, all these different voices, all these different ideas and themes and, and, and stuff going on. Paul comes onto the scene, he says, he says this, we need to enter into true life through faith in God's risen Son. That's what he said. He was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Of course, uh, you know, someone say, well, he didn't mention the cross. Well, well, why would he mention the resurrection if he never talked about the cross? Of course he mentioned the cross. Paul comes on the scene and talks about Jesus, and they call him a babbler. Literally, that means seed picker, like a bird that went around pecking after seeds. Like, this guy, who is this guy? 
He's not really fitting into our society. You know, doesn't he know that you know, we just got to let things flow and, and all just work together and just, you know. But you'd think that they would be more open since, you know, what's, what's one more among so many? They, they would be more open to what Paul had to say. But I, I think about this and I, I see what's happening in our society today is, is like now, you know, everything's okay Unless you start talking about Jesus. Well, everything is okay, but don't, don't talk about what Jesus has said. And don't bring him into the picture. He's a stumbling block. He makes me stumble. Let's talk about all the other things. They're all okay, but wait, wait, wait a minute. Like I said, nothing new, nothing has changed. Look at verse 19. It says, <clears throat> Then they took him, Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, kind of a meeting, a council meeting, important people get together, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. What are you talking about, Paul? This is strange. God forbid our society was built upon Christian principles. If you go to the city of Washington, D.C., you can find people there who will explain to you the, the history of our nation. You can go on tours in the White House, not the White House, but the, the um, um, Congress, never mind, you know, those buildings down there. You can go on tours and they'll explain to you what happened in, the, in, the, in the, the, the founding fathers and how many of them were pastors and how many of them were believers. But our city and our state and our country is certainly in a state of decline where to, to talk about Jesus Christ is going to be a strange idea. What are you talking about? used to be... You know, 30, 50 years ago, you know, there was more of a, an understanding, a biblical foundation framework. Even the phrases we used made sense. Now you, you, you use some of these phrases, you go, what are you talking about? I don't understand. Jesus, what's he got to do with anything? He's just the guy that causes trouble, right? That name causes trouble. So what, what do we have today like what was then? They would talk about all the latest, the newest, and, and we certainly see that today, the, the itch for news, you know. We got to have the latest news. We got to have, you know, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, all the news. We, you know, we tune in, and I like to watch the news, you know, and, and I, 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 I kind of have to like take it with a grain of salt because, you know, there's always a slant to who's telling you the news. But, but the latest story about, lately, it's like the latest story about this person or that person that's in the news. Not really much important. You know, this person, you know, was cheating on his wife, and let's talk about that now for 17 weeks. Uh, it's just, it's abysmal. Talk about the dregs of the earth. And, and yet, yet, these idols, these stars, they, they, they actually bring us truth. They, bring a, they become our source of truth, our examples, and, and, and what they're into. Well, i got to check that out. The, the latest diet they might be into or, or philosophy or, or mad, you know, fad religion or whatever. 
You think about a guy like Billy Graham, who is certainly in the twilight of his years, but, but, but that seems to be sort of picturesque. Yeah, his, his organization is still doing much, no doubt about it, but, but, but people like Billy Graham were, were once in, the, in the, you know, the, the consciousness of our country. A guy like Billy Graham that would preach the gospel to people about Jesus Christ. And now it's kind of like fading. The latest fad is good. Whatever is new is good the, on the latest you know, news cycle, or we just get bored. Look at verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. I thought there got religion. I see you're very religious. You know, is that what we need? I've talked about this. I talk about it a lot. Is that what we need? Religion? You got religion? Or do you got a relationship with Jesus Christ? I see you're very religious, he says. Look at verse 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. This word unknown there is the same word that we get our word agnostic. It's agnostos. The unknown God, the agnostos. They, 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 there was a God, they thought there was a God there, and just in case we'll, we'll put up an altar and you know, make a, a little thing we can worship there, just in case we miss anything, but we, we really don't know about Him, and we certainly don't know Him. We've got all kinds of stuff nowadays. But Paul comes along and he says, I'll tell you who he is. Why? So that you can know him. Religion isn't going to make it. You need to know him. I want to explain to you so that you don't have to be in the dark. You say, well, I'm in church today. I, 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 I know all about what you're saying. But the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, uh, from the last century, he said this, I believe a very large majority of churchgoers are merely unthinking, slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. Just coming to church doesn't make Him known to you. Just being here doesn't make it all work. It's having a relationship with Him that makes a difference. From Him being an unknown God to being the known God, the one and only God that you know and He knows you. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. This is the kind of relationship that we're talking about. Look at verse 24. The God. Paul says, I'm going to proclaim to you this God. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. Paul begins at the very beginning. He begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Who is God? We're not talking about all these other gods you got out here. Just forget about that for a minute. 
Let me explain to you, there is one God, the God who created the world. Genesis 1.1. You know, folks, it all begins right there, Genesis 1.1. If we have a problem with Genesis 1.1, the rest is not going to make any sense to us. Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. We've got to start right there. That's the foundation. You throw that out, and then you can have all kinds of weird little trippy things. But we're talking about the creator of the universe. This is the God that Paul was trying to explain to them. That he was the Lord of all, he says there. That he is the giver of life. And that we, you and I, human beings, all men... We have received life from Him. He made us. He created us. He's the creator. We are created. Kind of like who He is and who we are. But not only that, I see there in the end of of, uh, verse 26 that He is also involved. One of the things that uh, many of them believe, as I said earlier, is that He's not involved. He doesn't care. He He doesn't get involved in the lives of the human race. Well, yes, He does. And I would say, for him to send his son to the earth, that's getting involved. Would you not say? He got involved. He sent his only begotten son to the earth. He got involved. He gets involved in your life. He gets involved in my life. Look at verse 27. This is the key verse. God did this. What? He got involved. What? So that men would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. John quoted this verse, and uh, he didn't know I was going to speak about this. This is what God's desire is, folks, that we would seek him, that we would reach out for him, that he would find him. His desire that is that, that to have a relationship with you and with me. He's not some distant God who has no care about us. And let's just keep it that way, us and him. No, he says, I want to have a relationship with you. He says that we might seek him, reach out for him and find him. But I love what it says there. He's not far from each one of us. He's right here. John said that too. He's right here. He's right there at your your home. He's right there with you in your car when when you're considering maybe doing something that you shouldn't do. Maybe you're considering ending your life. He's right there for you to reach out for Him. If we seek after God, we'll find Him. Jeremiah the prophet said, he he, he says that this is what the Lord said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. We seek after Him. If you seek after the living God, you will find Him. That's what what the the truth of the Bible is. That's what so many people in this room have discovered personally. That's what Paul was speaking about here. I know there are times we go through our lives where we think, God, where are you? You Do you even know? And even as believers, we go through these times and life seems to be like falling apart. We're in the midst of this confusion like we sang about earlier. And we say, God, where are you? We, we read the Psalms and David often, he goes, you know, God, where are you? Why have you left me here? Do you not even hear? Do you not, you're not listening? Don't you see what's going on around me? But you know what I have found is that 
it isn't God that's not here. It's, it's, it's me. It's my perception. It's my understanding. God is right there. He says he will never leave us, never forsake us. Seek after him. He says, reach out for him and you will find him. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of, our, of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's skill and design. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I looked up that word ignorance there, and, and it's the same Greek word, agnostos, without knowledge. He overlooked the fact that we didn't know, but, but, but Paul is saying, listen, I'm telling you about who he is. And you and I have heard the truth, and we, and, and, and we have no excuse whatsoever. He says he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn Around. That's what repent means, to get on the right road. You and I, are, we're going in the wrong direction. But to turn and face towards the Creator and the Son that He has sent for us. We need to do it now. A.W. Tozer said these words, God will take nine steps toward us, but He will not take the tenth. He will incline us to repent, but He cannot do our repenting for us unless you and I make that turn and turn to Him and say, Dear God, like some of the things John was saying, simple words, not fancy prayers, but Dear God, save me. Dear God, help me. I love that. It's one of my favorite prayers. Help! But you need to be facing Him and turning away from other things and the, the things of this world and the things of our own making, the gods of our own making, and to turn to Him, the one true and living God, and say, God, forgive me. I turn to you. I, I turn away from my life and turn towards you for your life. And we get back to verse 31 where we started. It says, for He has set a day. When he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that is Jesus. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. There's a day. Not something, you know, people maybe want to hear about. The people then did not want to hear about a judgment day. Why would you, you know, you know be such a downer? You know, don't talk about negative things. You can't talk about anything negative. You know, I, I, I hear about a, 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 a preacher, a pastor of a very large church. He won't mention the word sin. He won't mention the word Satan. And he won't mention the word hell. He won't talk about these things. Why? Because they're negative and, and we all need to be, you know, positive. Yes, we do need to be encouraged. The Bible's full of encouragement. But we, but we have to build it upon the reality of the truth is that God has set a day, the Bible's full of this, a day when He will judge the world. And the only hope for us at that day is what? Jesus Christ, the one who was in that tomb who rose from the dead, who paid the price for our sins on that cross so that you and I could have hope. God put his seal on Jesus. 
by raising him from the dead. It's all about him. It's all about him. He will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Reject Jesus. One man said is to reject the intervention of God on behalf of man and to open oneself up in the future to divine judgment meted out by the very one rejected. We reject him, we're going to stand before him at that day. We reject the very one who, can, who alone can help us. Let's finish the passage there, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, <clears throat> but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. The responses we see here in these verses of what happened with Paul's time, his time there in the city of Athens. He leaves Athens after this, goes to the city of Corinth, has a much bigger response over there. Some of it, I, I believe the response was fairly small there, but some of it, I think, is, again, because of their intellectual capacity and, 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 and framework there. You know, we got it together. Let us just figure this out. We know what we're doing here. Some of them, they heard Paul talk about the resurrection of the dead, and they sneered. They laughed at him. They mocked. They didn't take it seriously. Some, it says they were interested they said, well, well, we'll listen to you again. Maybe later we'll do something about it. We'll hear you again on this matter. But it says a few, some. It says they accepted and they believed. You and I are responsible for our decision. We know that. We, we hear about that in God's Word. That's why we teach God's Word, because it has the truth. And you and I are responsible to the Creator for our decisions. We are allowed to make our own decision. He's not going to force us, like John was saying. Well, he's kind of funny, that guy, isn't he? I'm not going to force you to come and pray before God. I'm not going to force you to accept Him. He doesn't do that. No force. He gives you and I the opportunity. He says, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. Will you? Will you? I want to continue to have a relationship with you. Will you continue to spend time with me and know me? What is your decision? What is your response? How do you fit in with these three groups of people here? You just think, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Or you're kind of interesting and maybe, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll think on it a little bit. But Or you're at that place where you know, hey, you know what, this is, this, this is something I... I you know, I may not understand it all. And I know when I became a believer, I didn't understand it all. And, and for me, it was like, you know, I don't, really don't understand that very well. But I, you know, I'm lost and I need to find the truth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open my heart to Jesus Christ that I might find out if it's the truth. I, I said kind of ignorantly, well, God, if you really are who, who they say you are, I'll give you a chance. And little did I know he was giving me a chance. But he changed my life. He turned my life completely around. 
He's not far. He's right here today. Why don't we take some time to pray? He's not far from each one of us, it says in those verses. He's the one we stand before. Why? Because of the resurrection of the dead. He has every right. He has every authority. Why? Because he's the only one that God has said. God didn't do that for any other man, any other person, but he did it for his son, Jesus Christ, that you and I might come and stand before him. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do love us and you've made a way for every man, woman, and child to have a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, through the cross, him paying the price for our sins and that that empty tomb giving him the right to be the judge of all the earth. And we come before him now not on the basis of our own merits, not on the basis of my good works, but on what he did for me, on the basis of the cross and the resurrection. Lord, we come. We know you're here now. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have that open heart like that last group, Damaris and Dionysius, who said, listen, I need the truth in my life. All this other junk around me is just nonsense. But the truth, I want a relationship with the creator of the universe, the one and only true God. If that's you right here, right now, simply open your heart and believe. Trust and give him an opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Father God, we... Thank you again for this beautiful day that we have to celebrate, to celebrate the cross, but also that resurrection. That you not only paid the price for sin, but you defeated death, that we might live forever because of what you did for us. We celebrate that today. We build our lives upon that. As we'll sing, we, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. We build our lives upon you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray.